Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, that was good. I like that. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, you can begin to turn to Romans chapter 6. I'll pray. We'll read the passage and we'll begin this morning. Amen. Father God, this morning we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord God, we thank you for the beauty of your creation that we get to enjoy this morning. Father God, we thank you for life. Lord, I pray this morning that your word will convince us and convict us, that it will encourage and bring healing, that it will bring salvation, that it will bring spiritual growth in the lives of the hearers this morning. Father God, through your Holy Spirit, because of Jesus and your great love for us, We thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to celebrate you, and to hear from you. So this morning, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Romans chapter 6. Now, before I read the scripture, remember we are, we have embarked on this journey in Romans. It is important. The book of Romans is just Paul writes this letter to these believers, and it is just foundational, foundational um, for our, for their and our, for our salvation, for the basic things that we begin to understand about how God loves us, why God loves us, how God saves us. Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Why did he have to come? Why did the Savior do it the way that he did? And we'll walk through the book of Romans, and then we'll begin to get we are beginning to get the practical applications the implication of if jesus loves me if god loves me jesus died for me he he came to save me what are the implications of that once i become a believer what is next remember we said romans 1 16 and 17 are our key verses for the entire book of romans for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith so if we look ahead Romans 6 deals with the believer being dead to sin Romans 7 deals with the believer being dead to the law remember the law was introduced last week Uh, in our passage at the end of Romans chapter 5. Romans 8 deals with the believer being alive in the Spirit who gives us the power uh, to live the victorious Christian life. Then Romans 6 tells us how sin no longer reigns over us. Romans 7 explains how the law no longer reigns over us. And Romans 8 explains how the indwelling Spirit gives us life and liberty in Christ Jesus, our liberator. Holy Spirit, reign in us and reign on us. Amen? Amen. So that's where we are going, right? Each week we like to catch our breath and take just a moment and say, this is where we've been. Jesus is our Savior. God is our Father. But if God is holy, remember, God has to... God has to deal with all unrighteousness. If he is God, sin has to be punished. God is holy. God is perfect. Therefore, God has to deal with sin. And we are sinners. Therefore, God has to deal with our sin. So that is where we we have been. 
Take a deep breath. We're in Romans chapter 6. I am going to read the whole passage. Uh, I stopped apologizing for that a long time ago. It's the, it's the word of God. Amen? Amen. So Paul starts again with the questions, right? Just like he did in Romans chapter 3, this rhetorical style of, of writing. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Uh, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So you're going to see in a few minutes, in verses even 11 through 14, we're going to get some good old-fashioned life application this morning. Uh, and we do, um, we do need to talk more about those type of things on Sunday mornings. Shame on your pastor. He needs a little help. But we're going to see some things this morning. We're going to see unity, unity with Christ in verses 1 through 5, including uh, walking in newness of life. And what does it mean, that Greek word for walk? It is important to know. Unity with Christ, we're going to see true freedom, knowing true freedom in verses 6 through 8. We're going to talk about knowing Christ in verses 9 through 11. And then 13 and 14, applying the truth. Applying the truth. So, Paul asks the questions. Remember, he's referring back to the end of chapter 5 here, where he said, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here in verses 20 and 21, Paul is just, he's, he's starting a new chapter, a new thought, but he's also referring back to verses 20 and 21. Well, if, if that's the way it is, should we sin more so that we get more grace? He asks the first question. And of course he says, heck no. He says it emphatically in the Greek language. It's like, may it never be. No way. No, no, no. Shouldn't be that way. 
you know, your mom or dad uh, when you were a kid, right? You ever just, like, they're just watching you do something either that could harm you or, or something you shouldn't do. And they're like, no, stop that. What's wrong with you? Paul's saying, no, may it never be. Um, so he answers the first question right away. And then he asks again, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So he asks the question. And then there's this idea of knowing that we get right away in verse 3. And we're going to have to deal with, with baptism here um, a little bit. But it's, man, I wanted, to do a, I wanted to do a good job with this. He mentions baptism. He talks about baptism. But baptism is not his topic here, okay? Um, so he says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? It's, it's kind of like this. It is a identification even more. And the smart guys argue about this because he says, you died with Christ and you've been buried with Christ. And then you've been raised up in new life. And we know we have that symbolism in baptism. And it is accurate. And we also know, um, and no, I'm not going to do it. We also know that our baptism does not save us. Because remember, Paul goes hard, Romans 1 through 3, right? And he's talking about faith, faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that baptism doesn't save us, but it is our identification with Jesus Christ. So in verses 3 through 5, let's think about identification more than baptism, yet the picture here still works. And as a Baptist pastor, I've misused these verses all my life, okay? So, so don't feel bad if you have too. Because there is this idea of baptism going on here. Christ died. We died to the old man. Christ was buried. We go under the water. We come up into newness of life. It is a picture of what you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a picture of what you have already done. You've identified with Jesus Christ. You've confessed your sins. You asked him to be your savior. You believe in him. So now, and we are having baptism service May the 1st, and we have several folks that are getting baptized May the 1st. So, so really kind of appropriate few minutes, few minutes here on baptism. But what Paul is talking to the believers about is kind of like this. Um, during the Civil War, there was a man, his name was George Wyatt, and he was drawn by lot. They drew lots. And he was drawn to go to the front. He had a wife and six children. So a young man named Richard Pratt offered to go in his place. He was accepted, joined the ranks, bearing the name and number of George Wyatt, right? So Richard Pratt goes, but they all think it's George Wyatt when he gets up there. Before long, Pratt was killed in action. The authorities later sought again to draft George Wyatt into service. And he protested, entering the plea that he had died in the person of Pratt. He insisted that the authorities consult their own records as to the fact of his having died in identification with Pratt, his substitute. Wyatt was thereby exempted um, as beyond the claims of law and further service. He had died in the person of his representative. There we have the truth of identification in a nutshell. It's God's way of deliverance through, uh, um, God's way of deliverance is through death. 
through identification with our substitute in his death and resurrection. So we dealt with this word propitiation, I think, in an earlier chapter, that Jesus Christ on the cross took your place and my place in order for our sins, and the word will be used later on here, and it, and it literally means um, that you will have been acquitted. That doesn't mean you weren't guilty. That means that you were acquitted of your guilt. Why? Because God loves you and wanted to be reunited with you. So Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was your Pratt and you and I are Wyatt. Jesus went in our place and died. So in, in these verses, particularly in 1 through 5 and even through 6 when Paul continues, that's what he's talking about. Our identification uh, our identification with Jesus Christ. And you see, we even talked about a couple weeks ago, um, we talked about loss and grief and depression. And we talked about that paradox of, of loss and joy and grief and peace. How is it that the Christian can suffer and still have joy and peace in his or her life? That's what makes us attractive to people who don't know Christ. People say, well, you know, they're not all excited when they see you going to church. They're not all excited when they see you going to prayer meeting. You know, they, people don't get all excited when you talk to them about that. But you know what? When they see you go through something or when they're going through something and you reach out to them and you have credibility because they've been watching you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, even as all man, all God, Jesus suffered. He lived a life of suffering. He went to the cross and suffered humiliation, emotional and public humiliation. He suffered physical pain. He went to the cross and died, but to give life. So you see, again, we have that paradox, and, and I don't want to overdo it, but it's here. And as followers of Jesus, we identify with the death and burial of Jesus Christ, but we also identify with a new life and with a new lifestyle. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about here this morning. So we see in verses 1 through 5, and I don't think he even uses the word, um, he does in verse 5, the word, the word united, and that's, or united in the likeness of, and you'll hear that again, in his likeness. So like Christ, you and I are to die to our old self. Like Christ, you and I have been raised up already, even now through your salvation, into newness of life. So in a couple of minutes, we'll talk, about, um, we'll talk about the implications of that. And you know, in our culture and in the days and times in which we live right now, we talk a lot. Uh, we talk a lot about unity and freedom. And we live in a culture right now that is very divided, divided over race, divided over politics, uh, divided over economics. And I will not pretend to have an answer for the culture, but I do think I know this, and you can correct me after the service, of course, if I'm, and over lunch, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong here, but unity, true unity, starts with Jesus Christ. Amen. Until men and women 
until men and women come into right relationship with God. Remember last week we talked about one man Adam messed up the whole game and one man Jesus Christ gives us all God, all man, but all, one man Jesus Christ gives us hope and life. So one man messed it all up. One man may, can, has provided a way for it to all be right. So our country and our world will not experience true unity until men and women who are still in Adam come to Christ. But I will say this, you and I, we better be out there demonstrating the love and unity that Jesus Christ is demonstrating to us. And that gets real, that, that gets real. That gets real, real, real quick, right? Because the words that come out of my mouth, Oh, these people, they're, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this politician, he's a uh, fill in the blank. Oh, that guy, that group over there that represents, oh, they're liars. And now I name the name of Jesus and those words are coming out. And some of them have come out. Those words coming out of my mouth. No, no. True unity and freedom has to start with the believer. Therefore, we as believers uh, have to deal with ourselves in front of a world that doesn't know Christ yet. All right, I turned a corner and weren't supposed to go there. But he uses the word unity there. And our unity is we are united with Christ in the likeness of his death, but we also share in the likeness of his resurrection. Therefore, you and I are capable of accomplishing that in front of a world, in front of people who don't know Jesus yet. Amen. So he talks about unity there. And when men and women are united to Jesus Christ, hope is restored. Hope is restored. Now, restoring the culture is not the ultimate goal. Amen. The ultimate goal is men and women coming to know Christ so that they don't spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell that is very real. So, so we have this unity with Christ and he says, and he talks about this newness of life. Um, let me get here because I'm speeding along so that we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, say pair of potatoes. Say pair of potatoes. Now say pair That's our walk. So that's what Paul's talking about here that I think we need to take a minute when he talks about walking in newness of life. This walk is my lifestyle, your lifestyle. So the sphere in which you live and walk is your life. And I want to give us uh, just a couple of examples uh, from the book of Ephesians, I think it is worthy. It is, it is worthy of our time this morning. Uh, I thought I had jotted it down so I wouldn't have to mess around. Ephesians 2, verse 2, 1 and 2. Paul says to the Ephesians, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. You used to walk this way. He goes on to say that you were sons of obedience destined to bust hell wide open. My words, not Paul's. But so Paul says, Paul says, that's who you used to be. That's who you used to be. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. So now he's saying, Walk worthy of your calling to salvation. You know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Walk worthy in that calling. 
And he spends the rest of the letter in chapters 4 through 6 practically speaking about what that looks like. He says, walk no longer like the Gentiles. So don't walk like the pagan, like you used to be. He says, but, he'll go on to say in the rest of 4 and 5, walk in love. Walk in the light. Don't walk the way you used to walk. And I'm always so tempted to do a little Aerosmith, but I won't. Some of you wouldn't even get the reference, but yeah. <laughs> but he says, and then in 5.15, be careful how you walk. And if we were studying the book of Ephesians, we would begin talking about what does it mean to walk in the light, not in the darkness. What does it mean to walk as children? What does it mean to walk in love? Because, see, we have to understand how to walk in love if we're going to go out into our culture and be agents of unity in Christ. So, so when he says here in Romans, in Romans uh, 6, 4, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. New life. Yes, it's talking also about eternal life. Our passing as a follower of Jesus Christ, your passing from this life to the next is just that. You know what? This life is short. We have eternity to look forward to. It is that hope that keeps us going sometimes. When I was 25, I didn't get all excited about verses like that. Now that I'm no longer 25, I'm not even 30 anymore. This, whoa, whoa. Let me get one of the ushers to... Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so, so the, the, the longer I get in this life, the more, I, the more I appreciate that hope for eternity. Amen? Yeah, somebody said amen. So, that's right. Amen. So Paul says, so Paul says look, knowing this, he says, he says know or knowing this three times in this passage. So he's asked the question, He's giving us the, the theology, and then he's saying, come on, guys, you know this. We identify with Jesus. If we identify with Jesus, we identify with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. What does that mean for us? It means newness of life. Our lives are different now. Okay, we got that. Man, we did a good job, too. But in verses 6 through 8, and you could say 7 and 8 or 6 through 8. I kind of, I know I'm going back and forth with verse 6. And, you know, the smart guys identify 6 with 5 or you identify it with 7. We don't care. It's, it's the Bible. So verses 6 through 8, we're seeing um, um, true freedom. Or Paul would say in verse 6, knowing this. So knowing true freedom. The old you and the old me was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now we are no longer slaves to sin. So Paul brings up another thing here that he'll go on and talk about even more in the rest of the book, and that's slavery and freedom. And later he'll say, the one you obey the most, that's the one to whom you are, is your master. That's the one to whom you are a slave, to the one you obey the most. But we'll go there next week. Paul does say in 6 through 8, one, that we're no longer slaves, that we've been freed from sin, and he talks about eternal life. So he says, consider yourselves in verse 11 to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul said. Paul said that 
you were a slave. I was a slave. Slavery is unfortunately still alive and well in our world. The story of a young girl named Dodzi is a common one in the country of Ghana. Dodzi or Dodzi um, was orphaned at nine months old and lived with her grandmother who served as her guardian. Her grandmother had eight children um, to take care of. So at the age of eight, Dodzi was sold into slavery by her grandmother. She was forced into the fishing that was done on Lake Volta, which is the largest man-made reservoir in the world. She was forced to work on dangerous fishing boats and did things like bailing out water, paddling the canoe, casting and pulling in the fishing nets. She was also pressured into doing dangerous tasks um, like jumping into the water and untangling nets while they were in the water. Um, it was not uncommon for children to drown while they were doing this. This poor girl then was forced to cook for her owners and to work nonstop around the clock. She even had a forced marriage with another slave against her will. But it gets worse for this poor girl. She had no way out or no chance of escape. She was hopelessly stuck. Her masters were cruel and didn't care for her one bit. She was under the threat of violence and could be beaten and starved. She was a slave who lived according to her master's whims, will, and wishes. The life of Dodzi is a reflection of our old spiritual life. Paul tells us that we were slaves to sin. And as we learned before, we inherited sin last week, and we inherited sin from our first parent, Adam, and were born under its control. With sin as our master, we obeyed it and served it. Our bodies and all of our members, and we're going to go there in a few minutes, our eyes, fingers, toes, mouths, minds, were offered to its service. We offered them for acts of impurity and lawlessness. This led to more impurity and lawlessness. It horribly snowballed out of control. We acted against God's holy and good commandments. So like Dodzi, we served our masters. Um, but our master sin didn't care about us. It didn't care about the destruction, the hate, lust, theft, lying, or coveting would create for us and others. It was not sorry for the devastation that it caused. By the way, we did a good job last week. Um, applaud you. And when we went back to Genesis chapter 4, and we spent some time... We spent some time talking about Adam, that first man, because his, his very first uh, generation of children in Genesis chapter 4, Cain um, rose up and killed his brother. But do you remember what God said to Cain before it happened? He said, Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well... Oh my, I finished the verse properly, Charlie. This is one you don't want to mess up. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay, back to Romans chapter 6. Back to Romans chapter 6. It says here um, that we would no longer be slaves to sin verse 9 knowing that christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again death no longer is master over him so jesus christ when he died he conquered sin 
When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. So, so death is no longer master over him, but it gets better. Verse 14, we're skipping, we're not, just work with me here. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Remember, what's the purpose of the law? Do you, does anybody remember? To identify sin. To, yes, praise God. <laughs> I thought of one per, yes. So, so one of the main purposes of the law is to identify sin. And Paul says here, you are not under the law. Why? Because sin is no longer your master if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. How do I, who am a slave who is a slave to sin, master sin? Jesus Christ. Amen? So we get a glimpse all the way back in Genesis chapter 4 that God is doing something. That God is doing something. He told Cain, you can master this. He talks about sin like a crouching animal that's hiding in secret, wanting to kill you. The, the, the language there is beautiful in Genesis chapter 4. It's scary, but it's perfect. It says sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But he says you must master it. How do we master sin? Jesus Christ. So, so this idea of knowing Christ, sin and death, the devil is no longer Adam, no longer my master. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm no longer, the devil no longer has a hold over me. I've been set free. The word of God tells me that. So, so explicitly here, this is what Paul is explaining to the believers. So he uses that word. Uh, and in verse 14, sin shall not be your master. To the believer, he says that because you're no longer under the law. What does the law do? The law identifies sin and, pun and, and sets us up for punishment for sin. Now, we know that we need laws and moral order in our world and in our culture. The purpose of the law, even in Baltimore City, the state of Maryland, United States, is to identify is to identify the wrongdoing and to correct it, right? And we can't correct it on our own. That's why we need Jesus. So we have this idea of knowing Christ and what difference does that make? Sin is no longer my master. Well, so let's talk just a few minutes about applying the truth. Applying the truth. By the way, verses 13 and 14 are not suggestions from Paul. They're not suggestions from God. They're called imperatives. An imperative says, oh, you will do this. An imperative says, do this or don't do this. Now, to be true to the text, I'm going to go to verse 11. We're going to do one thing. In verse 11, we appropriate. Okay, that'll become important. In verses 13 and 14, we apply. Say, what does that mean, Charlie? Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What do I do when I appropriate something? I own it. I take possession of it. You and I, as followers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must appropriate this truth into your life. Why? We're going to talk about that in a second. Own it. Possess it. Appropriate this truth. You are dead to sin, but alive to God. 
say, well, Charlie, I did thus and so yesterday. I say, yeah, me too. <laughs> we, we deal with sin because we still live in this flesh, but we are no longer slaves to that sin. And even the sin you haven't committed yet today, if you're a follower of Jesus, is already forgiven, has, has already been forgiven. I think I even did the proper tense there. Okay, so... So this is a truth that we must appropriate into our lives, which means we need to believe it and own it for this purpose. In verses 13 and 14, here we go, or 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, so as a result of appropriating that truth into my life, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. So... Busy place. So don't let it rain. Here's that whole idea of who's in charge in my life. Is God in charge in my life? Is sin, Adam, and Satan in charge of my life? As a follower of Jesus Christ, I know for a fact now, sin does not reign in me, Jesus does. Sin does not reign even though I may commit a sin. So here's the thing we talk about, well, Pastor Charlie, what happens um, you know, we celebrate recovery is going to be starting back up here at Graffiti in a couple of weeks. And we talk about fear, guilt, and shame and what sin does to us. We talk about addiction, which is ongoing tor turmoil in our lives and the things that happen to us when we're in active addiction, the things we do, the sins we commit. At some point, at some point in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ, God intervenes, He saves me. And that sin, if I appropriate the truth and apply it to my life, no longer reigns over me. That is how I can have, that is why, excuse me, words are important. That is why I can have victory over addiction to drugs or alcohol in my life. Even though that sin is crouching at the door, it's not my master, it doesn't own me. What reigns? Who reigns in my life? Jesus Christ does. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Then he goes on to talk about the members of our body. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. I always think, I love this. We're going to have to do this one week. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do any of y'all know that? Be careful, little hands, what you do. There's a father. So, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm being recorded. So, there's a father up above who is looking down in love. Be, be careful, little feet, where you go. I covered three or four of them, right? Listen, these instruments, these things that I do with my body. I'm going to be polite today. Sometimes I get a little and I just sling a little stuff around when I'm preaching. And I'm not going to because you're all grown-ups. We can get this. You know the sins that tempt you. I know the sins that tempt me. Whether they are sins of my mind, which is a part of my body as well. Or what I do with my hands that does not, that does not honor God. Places I go with my feet that lead me into sin. For me personally, the words that come out of my mouth sometimes that cause me to cry out to God for forgiveness and the other things. There are lots of, if you need a list of those things, Paul presents them to us in other chapters and other letters. And I will share some lists of sins with you. It's not pleasant. You know what they are. 
And I, but I don't want to take it lightly. Paul's saying here, one, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't go on. Don't continue to present the members of your body to sinful things. Don't go on doing that. But, but present yourselves. So, so the Word of God always tells us then what we should do. The, the good part, the righteousness, where God wants us to go, where we will have joy and peace in our lives. He says, present yourselves um, as instruments, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We already talked about that. And your members as instruments or tools of righteousness to God. Why? Verse 14, because sin is no longer your master. Amen. Verse 14 says, so sin is no longer your master. So you and I must first appropriate this truth into our lives. Sin, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, we could take care of that today too. And you could become a follower of Jesus. And then everything I'm saying now will be true for you too. We appropriate this truth. I, appro I own this truth and take possession of it. Why? Because God said it. That's the only thing. Because Jesus provided the way for my salvation. Because God said it. Because it's in his word. I can take possession of it and own it. Now that I own it, I should act on it. Because why? Sin is no longer my master. You have every reason as a follower of Jesus to have victory over sin in your life. Amen? Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I seriously, I was thinking about one of the sins that catches me up all the time. It'll cost you for me to confess it, so see me after church. <laughs> I take donations. But seriously, guys, during what I, you know, I had tears in my eyes. Why? Because I, I knew what I was getting ready to say. I have those besetting sins in my life. I have the ones that are easier for me that come out of my mouth or places I go, whether it's here or with my feet. And so I need to appropriate this truth that sin is no longer my master. That means there's always hope for the believer. That means you can have recovery. That means forgiveness is real. That means you can have a clear conscience. Some of us live in fear, guilt, and shame. One of those, one of those three pops up in your life more than the other two. I know what mine is shame and it's wreaked havoc in my life. Mine is shame. There's just a little bit. We talk about this in Celebrate Recovery. Come to Celebrate Recovery. <laughs> but we talk about this a lot in Celebrate Recovery because it's powerful, both on a negative tip and because of what, is Je what Jesus has done for us. But let me wrap it up. Um, I did about eight minutes of overtime. Maybe you'll get it back next week. Maybe you won't. But so unity with Christ looks like newness of life. What is my walk, my lifestyle? How can I have true freedom? In Jesus Christ, I have true freedom. Sin no longer owns me, Jesus does, which means I can have victory in my life. And then the Apostle Paul in the Word of God tells us how to own that truth and how to live it out, how to obey it, apply it in my life. When you're tempted with that sin this week that gets you, hey, guess what? I don't have to live in that sin anymore. I'm not doing that today. God is going to, whatever pleasure, joy, happiness that sin gives me, God's going to give me more. Charlie needs to believe that this week too. Amen? So in closing, Morgan's going to come lead us in some worship. Take this as a time of prayer. If you want to pray with me or someone after the service, I would love to hang around and spend that time with you. Um, Father God, have your way in our hearts. 
and in our lives today as we respond to your word, Lord God, whether quietly in our chairs or up front, Lord God, praying with someone. Father, may we take these quiet couple of moments and just respond to your word. We thank you today in Jesus' name.